Well, I don't know about you, but mountains have been a big part of my life over the years. I grew up overseas in a place that was surrounded by mountains. I lived in Tasmania for many years, where you don't have to travel too far at all to look up at mountains. And Cradle Mountain, uh, I, uh, I go there every time I visit Tasmania. <laughs> every time we go to visit uh, Bethany in, in Tasmania, uh, we, we factor in a, a trip there. And there's other mountains that uh, are favourites of mine down there as well. Mount Rowland uh, is, is another beautiful one. In fact, um, uh, the first time I'd been to Tasmania for, for hiking and walking and, and to do the Cradle Mountain and the Overland Track uh, years ago, uh, before I was even married to Michelle. And I told her about uh, this, this beautiful Mount Roland as well. So the first time we went to Tasmania, uh, we, we drove along and it was a really misty, cloudy day. And uh, I, I, descri- I described Mount Roland to her, I talked it up and she couldn't even see it. <laughs> it was completely covered in, in cloud. And she, she said, what are you talking about? <laughs> but th- thankfully at later points, the clouds lifted and uh, she was able to look up at that mountain as well. But whether mountains or hills have been as much of your part of your life as they have been for me, or whether you simply enjoy mountain views that are captured on photos or paintings. Mountains are very much a part of the landscape of life. But as we begin this series on summer biblical images today, we begin with mountains which are mentioned frequently in the Bible. But not only are they mentioned frequently, they're actually, when they're mentioned, they're places of great spiritual significance. Mount Sinai was where the Ten Commandments were given. Mount Zion was where the temple in in Jerusalem was. And then we have Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, of course. And his Great Commission took place from where? Jesus' last words in his Great Commission took place from a mountaintop, from, from, uh, from on top of a mountain. But we're turning to Psalm 121 that Craig read the first half of us to this morning. And it's a psalm that begins with the psalm writer lifting his eyes up, looking up above and lifting his eyes up to the mountains or to the hills and asking the question, where does my help come from? We're going to look at this psalm across two weeks. We're going to start with the first image of the mountain or the hills that it gives us at the start of the psalm. And we're going to look next week at the image of heat and shade, which come through in the second half of the, of the psalm. But Psalm 121 is one of the psalms of what are known as the psalms of ascent, ascent. And they're a collection of psalms between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134. And uh, what, what, uh, what were they? Were they, was, they were psalms that were sung or they were psalms that were spoken about as God's people but they were doing that as they were ascending. That's why they're called Psalms of Ascent. They were literally ascending or literally going up towards Jerusalem for one of the feasts held there. And there were three particular feasts across a calendar year that they would make their way as, as pilgrims, so to speak, towards Jerusalem. And as they would make their way towards Jerusalem, uh, they were, they were liter- literally the hills or the mountain landscape surrounding Jerusalem would have been prominent to them. So they would lift their eyes up and they would see the Judean hills and mountain ranges that would have included Mount Zion and the Mount of Olives amongst other mountains. Now, I've never been to... I've, I've actually never been to, um, uh, to, to that part of the world. Some, some of you I know have. And uh, you've described and, and, and shared uh, going to uh, places like this 
and just getting a feel firsthand for the landscape. I've never done that, but uh, from, from what I understand, this is, uh, this is what it was like for God's people. They were, they were literally ascending or making their way up towards Jerusalem, towards, uh, to, towards worship, and they would look up and see the mountains and the hills around them. So with that backdrop in mind, let's take a closer look at the first half of Psalm 121. And it, it actually addresses the key issue of security in our lives. What does it mean to know security in the midst of walking the pathway of life and faith? Verses 1 and 2 says, I'll read it again. I lift up, uh, it says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Now, many things can strike you about mountains, their beauty or their barrenness. Some mountains can be very barren. Some can be spectacularly barren. Others are spectacularly beautiful. Their ruggedness can be striking, but so can the sense of renewal that they can bring. But when it comes to mountains, everything about a mountain changes or can change, is subject to change, except one thing, the mountain itself. What do I mean? Well, the colours and the shadows, the colours that you see and the shadows will change according to the time of the day and the time of the year. From sunrise to sunset, you'll get completely different colours and depending on the time of the year that you go, you'll get to everything in between. The flow of streams of water down the side of a mountain will ebb and flow according to the seasons as well. From, from, a, from a waterfall that's flowing strong to just a trickle or barely a trickle. And the, the leaves on trees on the sides of mountains will, uh, will change too. They can be there depending on what time of the year you go and then not be there at all. But the mountains or the hills themselves seem constant and unchanging, stable and secure. But the psalm writer is pointed us even beyond the stability and security of a mountain to the security and the constancy of our creator God, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalm writer points us to the mountain, but then he points us beyond the mountain to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is bigger than and before even the mountains, the only source of true security in life. Psalm 90, another one of the psalms, says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That just gives us a, a, a sense of how God has been, the, the eternal God, before, the, before he brought the mountains into being, God was there. And God is more secure and more, more, more constant even than, than the greatest of mountains. And then you come to Psalm 125, just a few psalms on from the one we're looking at this morning. And in Psalm, 121, it's, uh, Psalm 125, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and evermore. Life's path today and into the year ahead can still be one that's filled with unknowns and uncertainties, just as it was for these pilgrims long ago on their way up to Jerusalem when, when this psalm was written. So today, just as back then, what or who is the source of your security 
in life? It's an important question because it can be easy for any of us to have a misplaced or a mistaken sense of security when God and God alone is the only reliable source of our security. In the Old Testament world in which these words were first written, many looked to what were known as as high places for their security. They looked up to the places in the hills for their security. And and what they were looking looking towards were, were, as I said, what were known as high places. They were places of worship of other gods. They seemed appealing. They promised many things, but ultimately they didn't deliver. And they weren't a source of true security. And still today, in the world in which we live, the, uh, the, the, the high places, uh, the gods of our age, so to speak, can seem appealing. And they can promise many things. Status, who I am, achievements, what I do, materialism, what I have. And yet all of these things ultimately still leave us empty. They, 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 they shortchange us and they aren't a sense of true security. That can only be found by looking up to our creator God who is also our sustainer and redeemer God, and putting our trust in him afresh or for the first time. So as Psalm 121 begins, it begins by addressing our issue of security. Where is our security found? Who are we placing our security in or what are we placing our security in? But as we read on, Psalm 121 also addresses for us a second issue, within the bigger issue of security, and that's the issue of stumbling. Verse, uh, verse 3, it says, He will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. There are many things that can call... When you think about walking on a, on a, uh, alongside or under or towards a mountain, there are many things, or a pathway, whether it's near a mountain or not, for, for, for that matter. There are many things that can cause people to stumble when you walk down a path. Tree roots, rocks, uh, other obstacles along the way. And, and, And that was true in the setting for this psalm. But what the psalm writer is using that to point us towards is that there are many things also that can cause us to stumble on our pathway towards God and drawing closer towards God. The reality is the pathway of finding and following Jesus in life is not a stroll in the park. But it's one that, that, uh, that, that, that has its challenges, has its demands, has the things that, uh, that, that aren't comfortable on it. And, and yet in that we, rec- we recognise that we can easily stumble or we can have our foot slip as it's exp- expressed here in Psalm 121. We are all vulnerable to stumbling in our walk of life or faith. None of us have it all together. And yet what security we can know when we take in what God is saying here, that even when we do stumble as followers of Jesus, knowing that, as it says here, God will not let your foot slip. He who will not let your foot slip. That's an amazing, that's an amazing thought as we just park there for a moment. What does this really mean? It doesn't mean that we are promised immunity from, uh, from stumbling in life or faith. It doesn't mean that we are promised immunity from pain or from difficulties or from failure. But what it does mean is that when we do find the going hard or when we do stumble on the pathway of life and faith, we are held in the grip of God and God's grace that holds us. And because of that, we can know great security. And I'll say that again. 
because it's just so important to take in what, what God says to us, that when we stumble when we stumble in the pathway of life or faith, we are held in the grip of God and his grace who holds us. When the voices of self-doubt shout loudly at us, when the voices of failure shout loudly at us, when the voices of insecurity shout loudly at us, it's just so important to take in, to hear and to listen to God's voice and God's words and what he says to us. Not only does, it, does he say here, he who will not let your foot slip. But in Psalm 37, uh, earlier in the Psalms, we read this, verses 23 and 24. It uh, says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. It's even more specific. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's a great promise. It's an incredible promise of God. Though he may stumble, we will not fall, for the Lord upholds us with his hand. And right at the back end of the Bible, there's the book of Revelation, of course, the last book of the Bible, and that's well known. But what about the book of Jude, which is just before Revelation? It's a tiny little book. It's so small that it doesn't even have any chapters, just verses. There's no Jude chapter 1 or Jude chapter 2. It's just Jude verse whatever. 25 verses and the last two verses of Jude just before the last book of the Bible revelation say this often used as a as a benediction to him who is able to keep you from what keep you from stumbling and to do what to present you before God's glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. That is truly an incredible, again, incredible thoughts and words, reality for for those of us who are in Christ. Who is able to keep you from stumbling and is able to not only do that, but then present us before God's glorious presence without fault. Now, of course, we all are with fault. But because of what we've remembered at at communion time, what Christ has done for us on the cross in dying and rising again, uh, he is able, our unrighteousness has been exchanged for his righteousness. What incredible promises and incredibles that bring incredible security to us, knowing that we are held in the grip of God's grace, who holds on to us no matter what may come our way in 2024. There's one last thought from the first part of Psalm 121 that I want to leave you with before we save the second half for next week. And it's from uh, the second half of verse 3 and into verse 4. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, it's time to confess. Who stayed up to see the new year in? I did. Some, many of some of you didn't, but there were enough of us who did. Now, but I've got to confess that uh, I, I I had a great time watching the fireworks and watching the the New Year in. Uh, went down to um, uh, not the fireworks in the city, but a more local one. And uh, but I've got to confess that New Year's Day afternoon, I found myself falling asleep. I don't normally find myself falling asleep in, a, in, a, in an afternoon, but I've got to confess that even though I, I was attentive and awake into the early hours of the morning, I wasn't so attentive 
in the middle of the afternoon the day after. The psalm writer is reminding us here and reassuring us that unlike human beings, God is always attentive to us. God is always attentive and awake. God is always watchful and with it. And on another mountain long ago in the Bible, Mount Carmel in the Old Testament, it's recorded in 1 Kings that there was this um, uh, incredible, um, you'd call it battle of, of, of the gods, so to speak, comparing the responses of the prophets of Baal, an ancient pagan god, to Elijah, God's prophet, and the contrast between the God of the Bible and anything or anyone else. And we read in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verses 26 to 29, it says this, uh, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, a, a sacrifice, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Taunt them. He obviously had a bit of a sense of humour. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. <laughs> Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and it went on and on and uh, there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. But then what happens with Elijah? Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. And uh, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. And uh, it goes on to say that with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, uh, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. And he even said to them, pour four large jars with water and pour it over it. Pour it over the offering and the, on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. And a third time, and the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And then Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God and that I am your servant and have done all things at, these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And... Uh, it goes on to say that, that the fire of the Lord fell, turned up the sacrifice, the wood, licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So even back in the Old Testament on Mount Carmel, the, 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 there was this sense of God is attentive. God is awake. God, God never slumbers or sleeps, as, as Psalm 121 says. He's always attentive and, and, uh, and, and aware of what's, uh, what's going on. We go through a night. When I woke up this morning, I wasn't attentive through the night. But as you go into 2024, you can do so with a real sense of security, knowing that God is attentive to whatever might come your way. God won't press the snooze button on his alarm, but God is watching over you, it says here in Psalm 121. Watching over you, not just some of the time, but all of the time. What a God we have who we can turn to, who we can depend on, who we can have confidence in and who we can find real security in. The God who the writer of Psalm 121 reveals to us, reminds us of and reassures us of. Let's pray. God, as we begin our pathway of life and faith into 2024, with all of its uncertainties or all of 
its possible mountains to, to, to climb around us or the, or the things that we might see as mountains or hills to overcome. Thank you, God, for what is certain, that we can lift our eyes to the mountains, that we can be reminded of the certainty of the help and security we can find in you, God, the eternal God, our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. Thank you for your constant nature. Thank you for your constant attentiveness to us and that you're watching over our lives, that you're aware of everything that's going on and knowing that, thank you that knowing that we can know too that even when we stumble, you will not let our foot slip. You hold on to us securely. We are held in your grip of grace. We confess that we can easily stumble. We confess that at times we can and do. We confess that at times we can and do put our security in the wrong things when you and you alone are the only true source of security. So may the beginning of this year for us be a time of placing our confidence afresh in you, God, finding our security in you and you alone. Not those things around us or within us, or those things that the, 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 the um, voices of the world around us shout loudly at us to be more attentive to. But above all, help us to be attentive to lifting our eyes to you, God, and finding true hope and security in you. And for that, we give thanks, and for that, we are grateful. In and through the name of Jesus, we ask these things.